0: This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How is everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You are not giving up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, I want to talk about spiritual bullies. In the pulpit. Oh, yeah, because apparently there is a lot of spiritual abuse in the modern church today. This does my heart no good to realize that you mean to tell me you got into ministry? Just to abuse the people? For what? Listen. We were broken. We were in sin. We've just come to Christ Jesus. So, of course, we go to church. To now find out how to live this new life. And so, we go to church expecting to meet the real Jesus Christ and not the fake Jesus Christ that's being, oh, put out there today. This fake Jesus is nothing more than a genie, a Santa Claus, someone that can tell you to live your best life ever. And if that wasn't bad enough, you have men in the pulpit treating it as if it's their domain to be so mean. It's like, what's the problem? Why are you attacking the sheep? So, I'm watching some videos about this and it's like okay on one hand we see the corruption we see the corruption we see unfortunately you have men of corrupt minds destitute of the truth who actually believe that godliness is gain that you can get rich off the gospel that you can write all the books become mega superstars in church circles and you could live large be in charge and then and then treat the people like second class citizens just because you feel you are the grand pooba and then when correction tries to come your way you shoot it down with this arrogance of who do you think you are i'm the pastor and then i'm reading articles and just like trying to get a handle on why would anybody treat anybody especially in the church of christ like Why would you do that? Like, why would you be obviously in leadership, but then make it all about you? And you are steeped in sin. You are steeped in financial corruption. You are basically embezzling spiritual embezzlement. So... That's what I want to talk about today. And then I ran across this wonderful article that I want to share as well. So let us pray. Because I was looking at John, John 21, where Jesus reinstates Peter. And while I was doing some research about these spiritual bullies... And then the Holy Spirit reminded me of what Jesus said to Peter to go and feed his sheep. He didn't say go and abuse the lambs. He didn't say that. And so it's something about the new birth. Like it puts all this love in your heart for God's people and You don't want to see them abused, especially in the church, especially for me. I take great exception about this whole false doctrine of tithing because my my takeaway and my stance is why bully the people and make it a requirement for them to give. Let them give as God prosper them. Let them give cheerfully and of a willing heart. Because that's what God loves. A cheerful giver. Not a grudging tither. Right Holy Spirit? And so again we get it. It takes money. It costs money to run a ministry. The pastor has to get paid. Bills at the church has to get paid. Staff has to get paid. We get it. We want to give. But don't make it a requirement pulling out Old Testament scriptures to intentionally Twist them to make the people feel guilty and given. And that's part of spiritual abuse. Why would you want to do anything to manipulate, to bully, to twist the arm, to To get the money. See, that's the part I'm still stuck on. Why not just simply ask for donations? To ask the people to give. Obviously, depending on the community, if you are in a low-income neighborhood, Community, region, city, what have you, you know that you are not going to become a multimillionaire from the donations. Why not just simply ask the people if they can give whatever they have to give? And believe by faith for the rest. That's how the just lives. By faith. So, obviously, I'm not a pastor. And most pastors will will tell me that I don't know all that goes into ministry. About how to keep the books. And all of that. But I am a human being. I do run my house. I do know what expenses are and the upkeep. So it's not like we don't have an understanding of church finances. It's the same principle. You have expenses. You need money to pay those bills. I don't have to have gone to seminary to understand the financial needs of a church. It is obvious. So, I want to talk about spiritual abuse in the modern church today. And then, like I said, I want to share this article because it hit home, because it it talks about how people want to come to church, but then they don't want to be beaten in the head and made to feel guilty if they don't give enough money or if they don't give anything at all. And what if a, a person is just visiting for the first time? The, the consensus is, well, I'm new here, Why are you raping my pockets as soon as I come through the front doors? So, that's what I want to talk about today. So, let us pray. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, we love you so much and we shall walk by faith. Hallowed be thy holy name. Father... Over here in John 21, where Jesus reinstates Peter, that just hit home for me today because Jesus was telling Peter to go and feed his sheep. And to me, that speaks of shepherding, watching over the flock, caring for them, making sure that their needs are met and it speaks of a loving leader and if jesus sends one out this should be their mindset it really shouldn't for me father it really shouldn't be the focus on the money and that's all that they preach about bringing the money uh you must tithe. God needs this money. God spoke to me that ten people have a thousand dollars to give. And then, Father, the most frustrating and sad part is that they highlight those who tithe rather than showing no respect of person why make the ones who can't give money this week why make them feel bad and why highlight them is father It's a mess and it's really weighing on my heart because when we are born again oh we are filled with joy there's a huge sigh of relief like Whew, I've just escaped hell's fire. And then we go to fellowship, believing that we are going to be taught the word of God, how to now live godly lives, to live by faith, to love on the brethren, and to be the body of Christ edifying one another, breaking bread, praying, worship. Whatever happened to that attitude, Father? So, over here in John 21, verse 15, where Jesus reinstates Peter, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Amen. Father. That speaks of love. That speaks of Jesus appointing a shepherd to tend to his flock until he comes back. And then when we see all of this spiritual abuse going on in the church today, it so saddens me. Father, help us today. We ask for wisdom where church fellowship is concerned. Point us to men of God who has been truly sent by your son Jesus to care for his lambs until he returns. May all the corruption go away and let it get back to the business of hand. Your son, Jesus, who saved us, who reconciled us back to you. Let it be about obedience to you and loving our brothers and sisters in one beautiful body. Father, I ask for wisdom to teach today's lesson. May the Holy Spirit move on me. Give me deep Insight into your word. May the people be lifted up today, Father. Let them know that our hope is in Jesus, not in the pastor, not in church membership, not in money, but in Jesus. And I ask this and I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Alright, folks. So I had made some notes because it's, it's really a daggone shame that you have someone in the pulpit acting like a egomaniac. Like it's it's so not about you. I guess power just goes to people's heads when they are in leadership because we see it in the world. We see it in government, politics, businesses, Hollywood, everywhere. It's like you put certain people in leadership or in power and it just goes to the brain somewhere. And... So, I made some notes to try to figure out where does this stem from? Where does the pulpit bully comes from? So, I made some notes. I said, it's supposed to be about Jesus anyway, not you, Pastor. You are to care for the sheep, not abuse them. It's so not about you, Pastor. When did you go bad? Were you always bad from the beginning? I mean, are you the one who looks at church as a lucrative money-making scheme to get rich, to write books, to go on tours, to have all of these conferences, to pal around with other wolves in sheep's clothing. So many questions I have. And then I wrote up, oh, yep, they are, are egomani- maniacs, and prideful. They have no shame about their behavior. They believe they are right and will silence all naysayers out front they are the end all that be all but behind the scenes they are tyrants they are tyrants and I'm looking at these various articles that that other pastors have written about what they have gone through what other pastors I guess in their training, abuse them and and I'm like this is just so so sad all around, and um, I wrote yeah they are bullies spiritual bullies in the pulpit, and then my whole takeaway was where's the love man, like where is the love. Right, Holy Spirit. Some of them think, well, they don't have time to love. They have to run this business. Because, see, for them, church is a business. Now, we get it. There must be a business prospective, if you will, because you have staff. You have a facility that you have to pay for there are expenses so and there is bookkeeping especially because there's money flowing through there there needs to be accountability for the money there must be checks and balances um you someone has to cut the grass someone has to wash the windows someone has to buy the food the pastor has to to be paid, you know what I mean, and um, you know then there's events that goes on at the church. You know, you have your 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 picnics and your uh, mission trips and groups. You know, so in a sense, yes, it it is business behind the scenes. Obviously, <clears throat> obviously. There needs to be administration, but then don't treat it like a money making for you as opposed to money, money making in the sense of taking that money and putting it into the community, especially in the low income areas, because you have a lot of families for whatever reason, are not working and they are not getting income, so they come to the church seeking help, food relief, shelter, whatever, that money should be in reserve For the poor and the needy, not to get the next Lexus for the pastor. And that's my whole flavor about money in the church. It's like this caring for the flock and not for the high-end lifestyle of the pastor and his family. And that's, for me, that just sticks in my craw. Because when I was sitting up under that damnable prosperity gospel, and we thought it was the pastor's right to have jets and expensive vehicles, no luxury vehicles. I'm talking about the Bentley's and the Rolls Royce's and the the high end SUVs, Land Rovers and and five thousand dollar suits. Tens of thousand dollars of watches and just this flamboyant, lavish, rich, high-end living lifestyle. But then you got the people coming in on the bus. You got these single moms and dads pushing strollers. Believing that if they give their last dollar to God, that God is going to give them money back. And that's a lie. That is false hope. And then, yeah, part of it too is greed on our part. Because we looking at it maybe like a spiritual lottery that if we give God money, if we give him 10%, then he's going to give us back a hundred fold. And that's, you know, when you don't have any money, that sounds like good news. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not out here playing, you know, worldly lotto and I'm not gambling and I'm not selling drugs to make money so you mean to tell me that if I come to church and give God some money he's going to give me some money back and it's and it's all spiritual yeah because for the impoverished financial mind that sounds like a better way to go than me standing out here on the corner trying to make some money but if I come to church and God wants to bless me and that's my quote unquote so they say right as a king's kid oh okay well then I can get behind all of that and then you find out this is nothing more than a money making scheme so that the pastor so that the pastor can become a multi-millionaire and then on top of that he writes all of these books and we we buy the books because we want to support the man of God and we figure that well since we only see him once a week but if we have his book then he can give us some more details about how to become rich and then, Instead of reading the Bible (laughs) to get the real deal, we would rather read their books because for some odd reason we believe they're gonna give us the the inside tricks and tips on how to make this money quickly because that's all that they put in our faces. They're rich lifestyle, so we want to know, well then teach us how you how you do it, and thus it began, those books to sit up on the shelf, we still poor, meanwhile they are living their best lives ever, so, and not to mention that, some of them have bad attitudes, <laughs> you would think they would be so happy is sitting on top of 20 30 40 70 million dollars you would think that they would just be just sweet and nice not not all of them no i don't know maybe they they came into it with that bad attitude but then yeah you're right holy spirit a lot of them Jesus did not send them and so they came into it as a charlatan from the gate and they were never truly born again so no there is no love for the brethren it's only a facade to massage you enough to get the money up out of you and so that leaves a bad taste and people' mouths they want to, they want to come to church, but it's like well, I know as soon as I get there, the first thing they're gonna do is pass around the plate, and some churches they pass that plate three four times, trying to meet the budget it's so much it's it's deep it's is really deep because it's like, okay, being in business, right we, we know about growth, we, we know about scale. We, we know that it takes money to make money but it's still church. Okay, it's just certain things you have to leave the world models, business models at the door, at the secular door. Don't we, we can't we can't do it like they do it in the business world. It cannot. It it has to be another level. It has to be on a different level because then Then you run into a lot of corruption. You run into a lot of embezzlement. You run uh, ego tripping. (laughs) Okay. So what I wrote here. Yeah. Pastors are there to shepherd, not abuse. What a sad commentary. It's no wonder why people don't want to go back. And so since I'm not in church leadership, I obviously don't know all that goes on behind the scenes. But I have a pretty good idea. I have a pretty good idea because what we see out front is a hot mess. We see the pastor putting us up back up under the 613 laws of Moses with the false doctrine of tithing and sowing seed rather than allowing the people to give as they prosper and let them give from a willing and cheerful heart and believe God for the rest. Just like y'all tell us to live by faith, To give up the money. Well then y'all live by faith. To get money. (sighs) Yeah. So. I think I'm going to make this kind of short. But I do want to share. This article. Because this article. It really resonated with me. Especially about. Why people. Are leery. To go to a brick and mortar church fellowship because of the money corruption and then you got the man of god up there acting like a bully and let me tell you some of them they have no shame they make you feel less than an ant about you not giving i mean some of them are aggressive aggressive and then behind the scenes They treat their staff just mean. They feel, well, I'm the senior pastor, CEO, founder of this church. How dare anyone come against me in my judgment? I know what I'm doing. And all of that, like, back that attitude up. Whatever happened to Jesus saying, feed my sheep? Take care of my lambs. He didn't say anything about you being a bully in the pulpit. So, that's our perspective. And so, that is why the Holy Spirit hath me on this podcast for a few reasons. One... To warn the people that we must live in repentance, come out of out of sin, you're not supposed to be in sin, and have obedient faith to the Father, and to highlight church corruption so that we don't be deceived, so that we don't be duped, raped, robbed, and fleeced about this money. And that, and that we don't sit up under false doctrine. And that how we must study the word of God for ourselves. So that we can rightly divide the word of truth. So that when we go to a brick and mortar fellowship. And the man of God is, is preaching falsely on what Jesus taught. Then we are not ignorant and we can request a meeting to find out why are you teaching this doctrine falsely. We should be able to meet with the pastor without feeling like he's going to bite your head off. He's going to make you feel like, who are you? I went to seminary. I know what I'm talking about. All you need to do is come in here and sit down and listen. And it's like, who are you talking to? So, instead of getting all in the flesh behind this, where's the love, man? So, let me share with you all this, this article. It's from House... House Heart to Heart. And um, this article, it says, um, I would go to church, but all they want is money. And and it's by Alan Webster. And it says, and for me, what really hit home was about how we are not required to tithe. And that how people really, because see, since the money is a touchy subject anyway, when it comes to church, only because of all the craziness. That goes on when these pastors get a hold of a lot of money, then it becomes all about them. And then all we see is the flashy suit and the gold diamond pinky ring. And the big Cadillac out front. Meanwhile, everyone else is poor. But the pastor and his family with all of the pageantry that goes on. And they just put it in your face just how financially prosper that God has made them. And it's it's this off balance. It's like them against us. And they falsely teach you this prosperity gospel which is not true folks God is not going to give you money because you gave money to the church that's not how that works but they will lead you to believe that that is exactly how that works and that how you must have faith enough in God to believe that if you give up your last two pennies, he's going to give you $2,000 back. And if you don't receive it, it's not because we are teaching a damnable gospel. No, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's why you don't have the millions like we do because see, we stand in big time faith. Lies, lies from the pulpit. So let me share this this article because it touched home it's like see holy spirit that's all that i was trying to convey that you don't have to put us back up under the law to get money because for them giving donations is not enough they want first fruits they want your, your whole income at the beginning of the year. They want that weekly demanded 10% of your income. And then they, they have offerings all week. They got it at the, well, I, I, I'm going to read the article because it, it mentions all of this. So, look, it says, money can be a sensitive topic Many have been turned away from Christianity because of religious leaders' attitudes toward money. Not a, few had, not a few had bad experiences in churches due to it. It is not uncommon to hear things like these. I don't go to church because when I do, they want me to empty my pockets. They make me feel guilty if I don't donate. For once, I like to see a church where they didn't ask for money as soon as I walked in the door. Why do do churches keep asking for money all the time? Frankly, it turns me off, and I think it does a lot of other people too. It's just one scandal after another. Amen. And that's the problem. That's the problem we have where a lot of people don't want to come to church because they feel bad because they don't have money to give. They want to hear sound teaching and as God prosper them then yes th- they're going to give but first let me let me find out what this church is all about who is that man up there preaching to us what is his background let me test the fruit of his tree and then it's just so so much tradition going on at the church that is completely out of order according to the word of God like church membership that you can't church hop and that and that you must enroll as a member to partake in any of the services and the primary reason they can say what they want but the primary reason for church membership is so that they can count on your faithful tithing because that's on that membership card too they they want you to commit to tithe and then I, I think I saw I don't know if it's in this article but another article was that This church had the boldness and the audacity to bill their church members when they don't tithe. They actually send you a bill in the mail, just like your light bill and your gas bill wanting to know where's the payment. And I was like, what? Yeah, this one single mom said that how she got a bill from her church for a $1,000. Something about she was supposed to tithe $50, but she hadn't been doing that. And apparently somebody in the back is keeping a tally of the members who are not tithing and then send out a correspondence every month, giving them a tally of just how, Far back in tithing collections that they have fallen, and that if they don't pay, they don't come back to this church. What, <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, mm hmm. It goes on like this a lot because for the church leaders, they feel they have apparently they feel they have take drastic measures in order to make sure they meet the budget (sighs) must you do it by making people already feel bad that's right holy spirit that's why people have not been coming to church because they don't have the money and they feel guilty when they don't put anything in the collection plate so they just don't come they don't come because they're going to feel some kind of way once that plate con- and, and the condemnation, see, right, Holy Spirit, that's the problem. They feel condemned sitting in that seat having to in embarrassment, pass the plate on. Meanwhile, the person sitting next to them got their nose in the air looking down at them like, why you ain't giving up the money? And and it's all of this, because I've been there. It's, it's all of this unspokenness, but the body language says it all like, hmm, I'll put some money in here since you obviously don't want to give to the church. And some people intentionally put more in the plate and then look at you and then look back at the plate like, yeah, this how you're supposed to do it, and it's like, and then it causes rivalries in the pews on who's the bigger giver, and then of course, and in some a lot of churches, those who who d- do give big, then then they get to sit up front, they get to sit at the pastor's table, they become the the pastor's little pet. And they get highlighted and, and spotlighted in the bulletins. And it's just like, this is no different than what's going on out there in the world. It's like the one who has the most money gets the spotlight. Meanwhile, the highlight and spotlight should always be on Christ Jesus but we ain't got time for that. We got to make sure that the budget is met this month, this week. So back to the article, I'm not going to read the whole entire thing, but I will put the link down below. Right. Cause it says that Jesus was angry with such abuses in his day. True Christians oppose this as strongly, if not more so, than those on the outside. Bad apples and false teachers block the path for people to find God's love, grace, and truth. It's true. It, It really is. That's the problem. People want to go to church in in peace, if you will. Financial peace. Okay, well, you know what? Well, <clears throat> I only got $20 to give this week. I got to pay bills at home. I got mouths to feed. But I want to come and hear the word of God to, to keep me encouraged, to keep me out of sin, to make sure that I am living right and holy. I don't want to duck church because of the money when I need to come to church. I got a bunch of hellions living around me. I need to maintain my faith walk. So I need to come to be around other believers to get me through the week. But then I get to church. And then everyone is talking about, well, the blessing of uh, of Abraham. Come on down here. Show us what you got. Bring, like, they make this parade of first fruits. They make a parade of tithers. Come on down here. And then only a few people. That have been tiring because everyone else ain't got it like that. But then so we'll just sit back and we'll uh, clap because the man of God says, well, if you don't have anything, you know, to give, don't worry about that. Rejoice this week because see, next week is going to be your week for you to come on down here too. And then it's like, oh, I'm telling you, it was a it was a mess. And so the article goes on to say that in the church of Christ, guests are not expected to give. Because what I do like about this article is telling us how the church of Christ, not the church of the pastor, then you fill in the the blank first Baptist denominational, interdenominational, what have you, what have you. Because, see, that's his church. But the church of Jesus Christ, yeah, new guests are not expected to give. And so it says uh, if, you, if you honor the church with a visit, you are not expected to put anything more than an attendance card in the plate. Why should non-members support the church? We would invite someone, no, would we invite someone to our house for dinner and then ask them to pay for it? No, we wouldn't do that. So why does a lot of these churches expect new guests to come in to even give an offering when they don't know anything about this church. And so and then and then it, it talks about how in the church of Christ, you know, we're that church that Jesus actually appointed that pastor to be there and to shepherd over that church and do it in all integrity that church. Well, the preachers there are not in charge of the collection. It says, the New Testament shows elders, shepherds, bishops overseeing finances. When they when there was a famine in the days of Claudius Caesar, the disciples sent the money to the elders in Judea, and we see this in Acts eleven twenty eight to thirty. It says, um, "Most preachers are conscientious and honest, so no disrespect is intended." Meaning that, okay, preacher, um. <clears throat> will be in charge of the finances. We ain't saying that because you are a money-grubbing thief, but to keep it accountable, the elders will be in charge of the finances. And it says that, and for good reasons, for the elders to handle the contributions. It's not to show disrespect for the pastor they just doing it the way how the word of god where when paul was setting up the first century churches and when he was instructing let's say a timothy how to run the church so we stick to what the bible says how to run the church and not what the egomaniac grand poobah Feels how the church should be ran. I'm telling you, right, Holy Spirit. It's, it's true. You have some churches where the pastor is the only one in charge of the finances. He's the one, the one that signs the checks. He's the one that collects the money, count the money, deposit the money, and unfortunately, in some cases, steal the money. Yeah so um right it goes on to say how each mature new testament congregation they have um, a lot of of elders and when it comes to money it is better to have more than one person involved this um provides checks and balances reduces temptation protects reputations, Mm -hmm. and that how elders by virtue of meeting biblical qualifications are judged by peers to be blameless men with good reputations and not greedy for dishonest gain or, or covetous. Yeah, because being older, they are likely wiser in using money. Being secretly um, employed, they are often better paid and less tempted by money. And being out of the pulpit, they are not as often second-guessed or, or criticized. Because Paul defended a preacher's right to be paid. Oh, absolutely, and we see that in First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians nine seven through eleven. But he was also careful to avoid having his motives, um, um, motives misjudged as a preacher. Exactly, because on one hand, oh. Uh, So of course, of course, Paul wants to make sure preachers get paid because it is all about the money. And he's saying and it's saying, No, it's that you should hold on, let's let's read the the scriptures. It says, um, right, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges Who planted a vineyard and eat it not of the fruit thereof? Or who feed it a flock and eat it not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man or say not the law the same also for, open this up, for it is written, come on, for for it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Do God care or uh, take care for oxen? So right, we don't muzzle his mouth. Of course, if the if the preacher is is, is um sermonizing. And he's teaching the people sound, godly counsel, the full word of God, everything. Yes, pay the man. Of course, pay. Double honor to an elder. Amen. So, it ain't nothing wrong with the pastor being paid um, his wage and, and, and having... And look, listen, I'm going to tell you, some people they love that man of God. They they call, they go by his house, they take care of the lawn, let's say, maybe wash his car, who knows. You know, and 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 help his family out because they aren't making a whole lot of money. And so out of love for the pastor, people go above and beyond the call of duty. Because we want him to come back refreshed and not stressed about money and the finances. No, we want him to be in good spirit. In good spirits to come back to shepherd week after week. And then we'll love on him and his family financially. Yes, that's how that's how it goes. But if you are a covetous pastor... Then we got a whole nother problem. If you are a greedy, worldly, carnal Christian uh, uh, pastor, we got a whole lot of problems now. Okay? So, and then getting back to the article in closing real quick. It says that, oh yeah, right, right. This is where I saw. How? Because it says in the Church of Christ, no one ever receives a bill for contribution, and and this is where it was saying how, according to ABC News, one Florida church sent sent a single mother a uh, notice that she owed a thousand dollars, the minimum of a fi- uh, fifty dollars per month plus two special offerings. Per year and failing to pay, she would no longer be considered a member. And then, oh, (laughs) this one really got me. According to Christianity Today magazine, reported that another preacher refused to. No, refuse the funeral of a 93-year-old member because she has stopped giving. He explained, well, membership has its privileges. What? So you mean to tell me that this 93-year-old member... Obviously, she ain't had the, who knows why she stopped giving. She probably was sick if she's dead. And he's saying, well, since she hasn't been given, so we are not going to do her funeral because membership has its privileges. Don't that sound just as worldly as all get out? So you mean tell me that as a member, as a no, no 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 as a as a tithe giving member if I were to drop dead that's when you will do my funeral but if I had stopped tithing and giving, what you're gonna stick me over there in Potter's Field <sighs> See. See, And Jesus criticized the Pharisees for binding heavy burdens on people. We see that in Matthew 23, 4. God does not expect any to give more than their fair share. The Bible says, if there be first a willing mind... It is accepted according to that a man had and not according to that he had not. For I mean not that other men be eased and yet burdened that there may be equality. Amen. Because it says the the beautiful thing about the way God set up giving is that the rich have no advantage and the poor have equal opportunity. When a poor widow gave only two pennies, Jesus excitedly told his disciples that she had given more than the rich. And we see that account in Luke 21 verses 1 through 4. How? Because God counts giving by the love and trust we show by our offering. The poor thus have the opportunity to be the best givers in every church without being burdened amen and and that once again is all that I've been saying lately on the podcast why manipulate and burden the people into giving when just simply allow them to give what they have to give and what God has purpose on their hearts to give. Because who knows, maybe this week it was only $20. What if that person gets a $15,000 bonus during the week and can't wait to come down to the church to give half of that? Okay? Okay. One week, it could be on the low end. The next week, the next month, it could be on the high end and blow the church away. Glory be to God. So, to me, that makes good fellowship. So, and then, what got my fist pumping in the air was when I read this part. It says, in the church of Christ, Tithing and first fruit offerings are not practiced. Wouldn't it be fantastic? Because, see, that would get me back into a brick and mortar building if that church is not practicing tithing and sowing seed, putting people back up under the law of Moses. Oh, yeah, I would, I would give great consideration to attend that church as long as they don't make it a requirement for me to be a member, as long as they don't require you to tithe, as long as they don't require you to do first fruit offerings. But just come on in here. Let us love on you. Let us take care of you. And whatever you have to give we 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 only passed the offering plate one time anyway. You know what I mean, something like that, yeah, I would give consideration, but until then, me personally no, I have learned more of sound doctrine, sitting at the feet of the Holy Spirit than I have ever done, being inside of a brick-and-mortar building, that's just for me, okay? I'm not advocating that you don't go to church. No, I'm just saying what's working in my life. So, it says that mandatory tithing, giving 10%, is the cornerstone of many churches teaching on giving, but it was not part of the early church's practice. Amen. Exactly. So when and where did it get off to being something completely different? So it says right tithing was part of Moses' law and then they quote Leviticus 27:30 that says and all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree um uh, uh, the fruit of the tree is the Lord's it is holy unto the Lord amen and then Malachi 310 where it mentions tithing but it was talking to the corrupt priest because see a lot of pastors love to break out malachi 3 to scare you into tithing because it mentions about how You are robbing God of the tithes and offerings, and that by doing so, you are under God's curse. But that if you return to God, He will return to you and test Him. God says to test Him that when you bring your tithes and your offerings, He will open up the windows of heaven to. Pour you out such a blessing that you will not have room enough for. But guess what, folks? God was not talking to us here. He wasn't talking to Israel. He definitely wasn't talking to the Gentiles, which is us. He was talking to them corrupt priests. All of Malachi was dealing with these corrupt priests. They were the ones Who were robbing God. Of the types and offerings. They were bringing in. The sick. Lame and blind animals. To be sacrificed. Because um, the priest. Did not work. And so the types And the offerings that were brought. Into the temple. To to be put into the storehouse. Was for them. To have something to eat. That. Was what the tithe was all about. So that the Levitical priests. Could have something to eat. But what they were doing with the tithes. And the offerings. Was that they were keeping. The, the better portions for themselves. To eat. Rather than sacrifice them to God. And then eat. Was left over from the um, offering. But. Before it even hit the altar, they were in the back somewhere cutting it up and eating it for themselves. So God was putting judgment on them. So that's what Malachi, if you put it in its proper context, is all about. It's all about God giving these corrupt, sinful priests the business about the tithe. So, right, and it goes on to say about how tithing was part of Moses' law, which went out of date 2,000 years ago. Amen. Because Colossians 2.14 says, "Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Amen. So, in the New Testament, Christians are not commanded to give a specific percentage, but simply as prospered. Listen, I can't give what I don't have, but when I get more, when God prospered me, of course I will give more. We see this in 1 Corinthians 16.2. We are to give cheerfully according to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and to give generously, as we see in Acts 2, 44 to 45, and 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Listen, and just like I've said too, the article is saying it is not wrong to give 10%, but it is wrong to require it. Amen. And that's what I was saying. Look, listen. If you want to give 10%, give it. If you want to give 20, 25%, give it. If you only have 1% to give, then give that. All I was saying, pastor, why make it a 10% requirement? And then you want to drag out Melchizedek and Abraham. And then you want to drag out Malachi. And then you want to drag out the parable of the sower. You want to drag out all of these scriptures to twist them and take them out of context to make the people feel guilty and disobedient for not bringing in 10% of the tithe when, by the way, tithing was never about money in the first place. It was about crops and grains and fruits and vegetables and slaughtered, unblemished animals. At what time did did it become money? Then don't call it a tithe because it's not a tithe. It is a donation. When you're giving cash, money, when you're giving credit cards, debit cards, and and checks, those are donations, contributions, love offerings, if you want to say that, gifts, financial giving whatever how you want to phrase it but don't call it a tithe because a tithe is one-tenth of something so traditions of men has said that you must tithe and that how tithing is a requirement and so that has been firmly planted as indoctrination into the people That's why people give grudgingly. Listen, my hand is raised. Every time I tithe, it was done grudgingly, but I was greedy and I fell for the lie that if I do give up this money that I'm coughing up, (laughs) coughing it up, that God is going to give it back to me. Folks, I'm still waiting. I mean, I ain't waiting, but I'm saying if I was still up under that damnable prosperity gospel, I would have still been waiting. Yeah. And so, it's saying that, right, how it's not wrong to give 10%, but it is wrong to require it. Okay. It says that leaders can buy no more than what the apostles commanded. Amen. So... As Christians prosper and grow spiritually, they will often give more than 10%, but this is a personal decision and not a church mandate. Amen! I know I sound like a broken record, but that is all that I was trying to convey. Look, it says some churches require a first fruit offering based on Old Testament teaching, like Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine, uh, Exodus twenty-three sixteen, Proverbs three nine. Oh my goodness, I can't tell you how many times I was beaten the head with Proverbs three nine. It says members are told. Th- this is crazy. They are told they must donate the year's first paycheck or the first check one receives from a new job or promotion. Yep, that was another biggie. Because it was like, what, what scripture did they twist to say that? Okay, well, if you bring God the first of whatever good, then the lump or the remaining is also going to be blessed because you by faith took out the first portion and gave it to God and what whatever less um whatever else is left over is going to be blessed and going forward everything after that is going to be blessed over in abundance because you brought the first fruit so every time when you got a bonus, bring that. Anytime that you get a promotion, bring that. Whenever you get any any financial increase, bring that. And can't we see how they now get paid, living large and in charge with all of this twisted scripture going on here? It says, yep. Yeah, it says, uh, uh-huh, how the members are told they must donate the year's first paycheck or the first check one receives from a new job or promotion. First fruit offerings were Israel's agricultural offerings. <sighs> I told you it was crops. Crops, not cash money. So... Right, it was, it um, w- were Israel's agriculture offerings and are not for the church, meaning us. First fruits, because see, all of this, first fruit offerings, tithing, all of this was for Israel, because see it's like on one hand they tell you how you are under god's grace and that once you are saved you are always saved it is not by works it's by grace have faith have faith have faith and then when it comes to money oh it stop about it being by faith oh no it's by tithing it is now by the law well then which is it, Pastor, are we under faith or are we under the law? And that's another confusion that goes on. People in the body of Christ are not sure. That's why the question remains on the floor. Do we have to keep any of the laws of Moses? And the reason why it keeps coming up, because they have having you tithe. And they pull out these Old Testament scriptures to make you believe that we are in two covenants at the same time and you cannot be. Just like you can't be in two marital covenants at the same time either. No. We are not under the law of Moses primarily because it was never given to the Gentile to um, it was never given to the Gentiles to begin with to keep it. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf so that we don't have to keep it because we couldn't have kept it anyway. Moses I mean uh Israel couldn't keep it. We see the problems they were having, especially with their church leaders, a.k.a. Pharisees, who were also heaping upon them extra commandments, in which they weren't even keeping the law themselves. That's why Jesus stayed checking them about their hypocrisy. Amen. So, oh. Oh. And this is the close, because it was talking about how anyway, in the church of Jesus Christ, only one weekly offering is taken and without fanfare. It's saying that how Christians do not need to be endlessly prodded to give and should never be manipulated. I agree. Ministers are out of line when they make emotional appeals or panic pleas regarding the church's financial needs before each collection. It is irresponsible to encourage people to put large donations on credit cards by promising that God will pay them back. Why have most exactly... Why have multiple offerings each week during the Sunday service, Bible classes, night services, revival meetings, parenting classes, when one offering accomplishes God's purpose. But not for the pastor. Oh, he gonna need that plate to go around four or five times. Yeah. And under such and under such circumstances, visitors feel uncomfortable, even needlessly guilty. How are you gonna guilt trip someone coming up in there for the first time? No, they ain't coming back. And a couple of churches I visited after that, I never went back either. I'm like the first, thing they wanted some money. Mm-hmm, something's up. And I was a stole-cold sinner, but I knew enough that that pastor, all he wanted was the money. And then I get into church and fell for the biggest con game going, prosperity gospel. I tell you. Anywho. Okay, so it says, right, one preacher made an emotional speech before passing the plate. He then walked back to the pulpit and said, you are going to think I'm crazy. But God says, give again. God says, give everything. Don't hold anything back. <laughs> I bet he did. Look, and it says that the that the temple picked up and the preacher shouted, God says, Run. I guess what, come run down here to the altar. It says that the offering ended with people surging toward the altar like music fans rushing a concert stage. And apparently this came out of CNN. (laughs) Oh, goodness. What is it? It says that the late televangelist Oral Roberts Told followers that God would call him home if they did not give more money. Mm-hmm. Lion, liar, pants on fire. It says such modern day money changers are similar to those Jesus threw out of the temple, saying, "Make not my Father's house and house a house of <clears throat> merchandise." Exactly. So hold on to your wallets, folks. When you're coming up in these apostate churches, take some time to if you if you are willing to go to a church fellowship, pray. Pray to God that he direct your steps to a true fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ where they are not doing all of this shenanigans these shenanigans no and um judge rightly judge that pastor look at his fruit check out his his attitude cuz again it's not what you say it is what you display and not And not to get off in church gossip and hearsay and pettiness. But when there's concrete confirmation that he's a bully in the pulpit, grab your hat, grab your coat, and make sure you grab your wallet and you get up out of there. Amen? Amen. All right, folks, another one in the can. Repent and believe. Turn back to God and stop sinning. Amen. Amen. Lord willing. Thank you, Father. Until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye. Thank you.